0: Marcus, what's up dude?
1: I'm doing well. How you doing? I didn't ask how you were doing. Oh, what's up? The sky dude. (laughs) Oh boy.
0: Okay.
2: (laughs) Anyhow. Well, it's like we're going back to high school.
3: (laughs) Hi everybody. We'd love to get your feedback. You can post a review wherever you found this podcast, find us on Twitter at RealDMC, or send us a message at feedback at realdmc.com. If you send us some feedback, we may include it in our listener feedback section, and you'll hear it on the show. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real DMC podcast. DMC stands for Dave, Marks, and Colin. I guess we can start by saying, happy St. Colin's Day. Also, St. Patrick's Day. Colin, you just recently had a birthday. Did you have a good birthday, birthday,
2: Colin? Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I had a good birthday. I actually went out to dinner for a real nighttime dinner in a restaurant without masks uh, for as long as I wanted to stay there, and it was great. what did you have? (laughs) I had a lot of things. (laughs) Had filet with foie gras and truffles. That was that was the entree. Do you want? I sent pictures. <laughs>
0: hey, I would <was> <laughs> say you went for it. Congratulations. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Did you get any new fresh wine?
0: No more 1966. Let's splurge. Bring us some fresh wine, the freshest you've got this year. No more of this old stuff.
2: No, I had old wine. I had a nice Bordeaux <laughs> with my <laughs> with my fillet.
3: Listener feedback.
0: So from our listener feedback section, we have a question from Tom, who asks, I like your pick format, but it seems like you guys always want to talk about older movies. Do you have your picks planned out in advance, or do they change as you go? Colin? (laughs) They're constantly changing. (laughs) Do do you have a list? Do you have an idea of what you want to do next right now, or does it it change every time? Well,
2: I I have an ongoing list of movies that I'd like to do, but I I feel like I, I want to do them in the moment. And so when the time comes, I... No longer want to do them. I don't plan that far ahead for the for my movie picks. Marcus?
1: Yeah, I'm similar. I have a list about 30 movies or so that I might choose from. But then when it comes time to pick, i usually not picking off that list. <laughs> I grab another one.
2: Like, for example, I just read an article this morning. I immediately thought of an, a movie. I watched a clip from it. And I was like, yeah, we got to do this movie. And I won't tell you what it is because we might end
0: up doing it. Well, now, now there's a hell of a buildup for it. So I'll just say hope this: it's a good movie.
2: We recently did one of the director's movies on a recent podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: they'll narrow it right down. <laughs> right. What, a, what a mystery. <laughs> My process is that uh, I think I might want to pick a movie at the start of our podcast when we're talking, and then I change it right at the end. So, <laughs> really, it's a very fluid activity inside my head for the most th- part. Yes, th- that's exactly
2: uh, how I choose my menu options when we're going out to dinner. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I literally, <laughs> I like, I change it right at the last minute. Yeah, like, no. I'm gonna get the chicken. I'm gonna get the chicken. I'm chicken. What
1: would you like, Colin? Give me the steak.
0: <laughs> 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 Pretty much.
3: Today's film.
0: So, today we're here to discuss the greatest John Cusack film of all time, directed by George Armitage from 1997. Let's talk about Gross Point Blank. I
3: want to read you something. I'm working, Marcella. Dear Points High alumni, can you believe it's been 10 years since you left Gross Point? Don't tease me, you know what I do for a living. I just honestly don't know what I have in common with those people anymore. And what am I going to say? Killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been? Go see some old friends. Have some punch. Visit with what's her name? Debbie. Don't kill anybody for a few days. See what it feels like. I'll give it a shot. No, no, no. Don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. Pressure, down on me. I, I'm uh, a pet psychiatrist. I sell couch insurance. I lead a weekend men's group. We specialize in ritual killings. Hi, I'm Martin. You remember me? Oh, I know who you are. What I miss? What, since you stood me up on prom night and vanished without a word? Hmm. Debbie. <laughs> It's not easy for me. I always control my emotions. I just need time to change. Why don't you just join the union? union is unions. Are going to be meetings? Of course. No meetings. I want you to think about this and you don't have to answer
2: it now. But Debbie, will you marry me? Is it the best? Wow. Is it the best? No. That's a bold statement, my man. That's a bold statement.
0: It's a very bold statement. It's the best John Cusack film and I will I will ride hard for this film. In your opinion, yes.
1: It doesn't make my top ten John Cusack films. So Really? Really? Oh wow. Yeah. Fascinating.
0: Okay. Yeah, this is gonna be a fun conversation. So I made this pick. I actually made this pick specifically because we had recently watched The Crow or rewatched the Crow and that was a movie that you know, I recall <laughs> enjoying way back in the day, and then I was thinking, oh, you know, was it gonna hold up? And you know, it's sort of held up, but maybe not really. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I was thinking about other movies that I had, you know, recall watching and really having a great fondness for, and this movie fit the bill. And so I was actually a little bit nervous, honestly, watching this movie because I, I didn't want it to fall apart. So the main curiosity for me was, was it going to hold up? And for me, it held up smashingly. I definitely shifted my perspective on this movie a little bit. It's a little bit darker than I recall, <laughs> which we can talk about as we go through but. Uh, That was really, for me, it was about going back and revisiting something. That's kind of funny, too, because this movie is obviously about going back and revisiting things and going back to a high school reunion, for example. I have some theories on why this movie is maybe a little darker than you remember. Well, I mean, start throwing them out.
2: (laughs) Because when the world is currently, or at least has been, uh, run by psychopaths, (laughs) the thought of a... a
0: funny psychopathic lead character is not as funny as it once was. I can see that. Peter Travers in Rolling Stone, one of the things he said about Cusack is he said, Cusack isn't afraid to play a monster. Does he make Martin likable? Sure, most monsters are. That's how they stay in business. I think that's a very interesting and insightful thought in terms of what the character is because Martin Blank is a fascinating character for me and, and I'll straight up say, yes, I love this movie and I will probably like it a lot more than you guys but that's okay.
1: I liked the movie. I was, I was not a fan.
2: <laughs>
0: and I'm, I'm in between.
2: But I, I'm, I lean more towards you, Dave. I really like this movie a lot. I don't think it, it's held up quite as well as I remember, but still, it's, it's very good. I, I just don't love it as much as you do.
0: So uh, by way of general introduction, so the film maintains an IMDb score of 7.3. that's probably about accurate i guess or i mean it is the score so it is accurate but uh, i was expecting it to maybe be a little bit higher i was kind of curious i was looking at some of his uh cusack's other films i think maybe say anything is his higher rated i forget what the the score was and that movie sucks say anything (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: no i'm just not that big of a fan of that movie
0: neither am i that's funny because i'm actually not that big of a fan of that movie either because you don't like that sappy emo shit right (laughs) 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 Kidding. Maybe the fact that I like this movie as much as I do and, and you like rom-coms, maybe it's revealing some quirks about our personality. Yeah,
1: the well, fact that there's like plenty of murder in your most, your favorite rom-com. Exactly. <laughs> the, 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 the body counts 14. I like it. <laughs> now that's a rom-com.
0: <laughs> well, I certainly do love the genre or the melding of action and comedy and throwing some romance and that works for me.
1: Just on that point, I think I like it like in uh, this film, remind me a lot like Midnight Run. I think Midnight Run does it far, far better because that's one of my my favorite movies, but does have that similar kind of comedy action. But I think in uh, Gross Point Blank, I think they tried too many genres. I think that the romance, the comedy and the action, and I didn't feel like they did any one of them well. We, we can get into it, but that's why I think that it kind of fell. They tried one too many things going on in it.
0: I think they did it all fantastically. I think each yeah. of the genres that exist within this film, they're just great. I think the action well, is fantastic. I think the okay. mm, the no, romance no. and the chemistry is no. totally effective, and I think the dialogue is incredibly smart, and that makes for a funny movie. The
1: dialogue and the the, the interplay between Mini Driver and John Cusack is definitely the best part of it. Yeah, the rest I think falls short. Go ahead, Colin.
2: I don't think the action is very good at all. I mean, it's interesting. It's it's comedic, so I'll I'll give it that. And obviously, yes, the chemistry between Mini Driver and John Cusack is fantastic. It's sort of off the charts. And I was not sort of expecting that. Yeah. But for me, what makes it all work is that it's just, it's such a quirky movie. The dialogue is so well written. It's very smart. And it's not your typical rom-com or comedy action movie. And because of that, I always feel like I'm a little off balance and I'm loving it. And that's what really appeals to me about this movie.
0: I totally agree. That's a great description. The budget was $15 million. It made $26 million domestically and about $31 million worldwide. So definitely can't say that it was a smash hit. I guess it was a success. Um, I do think for Cusack, personally, again, just for me, I think this is his best movie. And it's a great melding of character material to, I think, his natural persona in some respects. Doing research for this movie, they occasionally got drifted into you know observations about Cusack and his personality and some of the things he's put on Twitter or whatever and then I didn't look too closely (laughs) I did not want to go down like a Cusack rabbit hole I will say that other people commented that you know maybe he seems like a strange guy perhaps a little bit angry inside so I think that he channeled some of that into this Martin Blank character interesting all right let's just get this
2: out of the way I love Better Off Dead and I've always loved Better Off Dead yeah that would be like my number one Cusack movie Oh, for sure. By like a mile. Like It's like in a stratosphere by itself. I don't think by a mile. I think so. This is like a a grown-up version of that a little bit.
1: You see Lane Meyer growing into a killer?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I swear to God. like th- This could no. have been, instead of Martin Blank, it could have been like Lane Meyer in high school. And then that's where he goes. Maybe. They're both very quirky movies. Uh, John Cusack, for a long time, he just did not want to talk about that movie when fans would come up to him, he would just give them a cold shoulder. He walked
0: out of the premiere like while it was happening, but better off dead.
2: I feel like he's a he thinks of himself as a very serious actor who doesn't maybe appreciate all the love and support that fans have for those zany, savage Steve Holland characters that he did in his early career. And you see it because there's a pivot point where he starts doing a lot of more like serious roles. I think he's ultimately resigned himself and and has become more open to the fandom from that movie but i think earlier in his career yeah there was a lot of like anger there he just disavowed that movie
1: yeah it's one of the things about art you can put it out in the world and how you think of it is totally different than how people respond to it yeah yeah respond to it it's kind of not up to him to decide what we like best (laughs) and i think lane myers is for me head and shoulders above everything else
0: by the way, just a quick side note on that one. So early on as we were doing the podcast, I was doing a series of movie reviews with my daughter where I showed her a movie that I enjoyed for the first time and then captured her reaction. Better Off Dead was one of those films. So we do have a podcast where it's called uh, Lockdown Cinema, Better Off Dead.
2: Definitely the most bizarre movie I've ever seen. Like,
0: And uh, you can see that my daughter was amused but slightly confused as to why I love the movie. So it's, it's a fun conversation. Go back and check it out.
1: Dad, you're a weirdo. So for me, I have uh, the top three would be Better Off Dead, Serendipity, uh, who also starred with Jeremy Piven, his high school friend. And High Fidelity would be the top three for me. And then it's kind of a mix of One Crazy Summer, The Sure Thing, a couple others in there. I don't like saying anything that much. Gross Point Blank for me ranked below most of all his early stuff.
0: Yeah, I would go this movie at the top. The next one would probably be The Sure Thing because I really love that movie. yeah. I, th- I think he's fantastic in that movie as well. And I think that's another example of where he has really great chemistry with the female lead in that movie. Um, Daphne, was, I, always, I always say her name wrong, Colin. What is it? Z- Zuniga. Zuniga, thank you. I always, I always want to say Zwinga, which I believe I did on a previous Zwinga. podcast. Zwinga. Yes. Hey, Zwinga. And then the third one will be Better Off Dead. Those are the top three Cusack films for me. Uh, for me, it's, it's Better Off Dead than
2: High Fidelity and Gross Point Blank. Do you guys like The Grifters? I have not on my list.
1: I haven't seen it in a long, like that, Eight Man Out, being John Malkovich. I remember all of those being good movies, but I haven't seen any of those in a while.
2: I would say that Eight Man Out is a fantastic movie, but I don't think of that as a John Cusack movie. It's a big ensemble cast. And I, yeah. I did watch The Grifters recently. I really liked it. I like his character too, but it's not in my top three. I mean, Say Anything is definitely not in my top three, but when you think of that, the characters themselves that he plays... I'd love to do this just as an exercise is take each of his characters put them all together in different points of Where they are in their lives or (laughs) ages and I I think you could probably make a case that they're all the same guy
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can make that case and you can also reference multiple articles online and I forget the the article Maybe i'll drop it in afterwards, but there's someone that makes a case that effectively uh, say anything Gross Point Blank and High Fidelity are an unofficial trilogy of the same guy as he's going through different stages of his life.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Supposedly War, Inc. too. I haven't seen it, but War, Inc. is supposedly a, a sequel because also Joan Cusack's is he's an assassin. Joan Cusack, his sister, is his assistant again. And Dan Arcourt is also in that movie. I haven't seen the movie, but I was just reading about it.
0: Yeah, I, I saw the movie. That was actually one of my more disappointing movie yeah. watches at the time because I was a big fan of this film and I was hoping for... Something that was maybe more a direct sequel or had the same energy and it was a little bit off. Has a great trailer, that movie, War Incorporated? It does. He's yeah. sitting in a bar and he takes a shot of hot sauce. It's a, the, the trailer's worth watching. Uh, okay, so getting back to this film. For the most part, critically, it was well-received. The Rotten Tomatoes score was, I think it's some 77% or something around there. Metacritic, same thing. The reviews that were positive were mostly positive on Cusack. I did really enjoy the Peter Travers review in Rolling Stone. One of the things that he thought was funny was that Disney was distributing this film, and he says it's a delicious irony that this grenade, tossed at the heartland with music by the likes of the Clash and the specials, is being released by a division of Walt Disney. Did Mickey Execs take Martin's promise to stop killing after one last hit as a sign of redemption? If so, they're mistaken. Martin is a blithe psychopath who rationalizes immorality as part of his job, but that's not who he thinks he is. He pets his cat, he proposes a debbie, he grins at babies, he feels empty. What he doesn't feel is a tinge of remorse. (laughs) So (laughs) the Martin Blank character is actually fascinating because he's definitely a sociopath and perhaps a psychopath. He has psychopathic tendencies. At least he indicates that's the reason why he left and stranded Debbie on their prom night. What I like
2: about the character is that, yes, absolutely, he's like a sociopath. And yet he makes me laugh. He's a charming sociopath. Yeah, yeah. But you wouldn't think if you met him in real life that he would do you any harm. He just has no qualms about killing people for a living. Yes.
0: That's why the character is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was always a big fan of this film. Do you remember when you first saw it? Do you remember what you thought about it early on? I don't really remember
1: the first time I've seen it. I've probably only seen it a couple of times. This might only be the the third time I've seen it. So I'm not really sure why it's so highly regarded. I kind of get it, but I also don't. Maybe
0: because it's a great fucking movie?
1: (laughs) I don't know. It's, um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it came out in the late 90s and i was very much into like an independent movie phase and i, I seem to recall that when it came out i was just like yeah okay john cusack mini driver and i'm you know like i'm just not interested you elitist fuck one exactly
1: oh wow because it seems more of an independent film now like it definitely doesn't seem... well
2: yeah, yeah but these are just assumptions that i made and so oh, okay. i didn't watch it for a, a few years and i i believe i saw it with emily on dvd in the early aughts and i was just like blown away because it was so not what what i was expecting it was so much better yeah instantly liked it and we we both did one of those movies where you're like oh man i am really digging this it is really good
0: yeah i I saw this movie would have been a couple months before i got married so it does align to that nostalgic period in my life apparently i'm just Wrapping myself in nostalgia these days, which uh, that's fine. It's it's a comfortable place to be. Are you dying? Uh, but this movie, what was that? <laughs> Are you dying? Uh, I'll let you know when I get the test back.
1: The interesting thing, the nostalgia of the the soundtrack's fantastic. I mentioned it in the last one we talked about too. The, the New York Times has a great article on, on nostalgia and, and the music's power and effect. Every time a song came on, I definitely felt, oh yeah, yeah. But I did not relate any one song in the soundtrack actually to the movie.
2: Yeah, no, it's a good point because if you think about it, the, it's he's going to his 10-year high school reunion, which, so that was for 1986. And mm-hmm. of course, we graduated a few years later than that. Uh, this is completely
0: the same era. Yeah, I love the soundtrack, I love the music, and I actually love how mu- the music is used in this movie. I think the music is used to, to great effect. Yeah, It creates some really fun transitions, It creates an atmosphere for the character during certain periods of time, like when he's in the mirror and he's adjusting his tie before he's going to go to the reunion. Hi,
3: how are you? Yeah, uh, I'm a pet psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. I I sell couch insurance. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, and I, I test market positive thinking. And I lead a weekend men's group. We specialize in ritual killings.
0: You know, so it's, it's, it's a little bit of almost like slow building tension. He's got
1: the Q-tips in his nose and the ears. It's great scene. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you might be confusing this with Better Off Dead.
2: Uh, yeah, I, really, I I love the soundtrack to this. It's fantastic. These are not even like bands that I was all that interested in high school, but uh, they, were, they were sort of everywhere. And so even I get these great feelings of nostalgia, and I really love the music. Just great.
1: You want the all White Snake Rat and Poison uh, soundtrack for your no. high school?
2: <laughs> so that's the thing. It's like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I, re- I really don't. I'd much rather listen to
0: Mirror in the Bathroom. The songs themselves are just used so well. Like I had no idea that you could choreograph a fight to Mirror in the Bathroom. <laughs> I would have not ever I would have not put those two things together, but somehow it works perfectly in this movie. The music selection, I don't know if that's a music supervisor that made those choices. I mean, Joe Strummer is actually noted as the person who did the score. And I assume the soundtrack, so maybe he had a music supervision role as well. But the specific songs that are chosen and how they're used, I, I just think it's phenomenal. I, I mean, it's, it's one of the best examples of using music effectively in a movie for me personally.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, too, because High Fidelity is another one that they have a great soundtrack and great music. Another John Cusack film.
0: It's funny, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, so I'm thinking about going back and checking it out. Oh man, I've seen that movie probably 10 or 12 times. It's a good one. You know, I was thinking about why do I like this movie, and I do have a list, if you guys want to go through it. This is the (laughs) anti-Edward Scissorhands. So Edward Scissorhands had a list of everything I hate. This movie has a list of everything that I love.
1: Do we start in eighth grade, or where do we start for your your life on this one? This one, we don't have to go back
0: for the full history. (laughs) All right. I think this is peak Cusack, right? So in terms of Cusack's mannerisms and the character... I think it's a perfect fit, and I just really like Cusack as an actor, at least early Cusack, I would say. I think the script is super intelligent, and so it's smart. So I just love smart writing. When I see a movie where I think the script is really well written, it just speaks to me, and this movie, I think, is great. I do like the concept of frenemies. Friendly, enemy, the back and forth that he has with Grocer. Yeah, Both from a dialogue and both from a physicality, I think, is really well done. So I always like those movies where... There's you know, maybe a respect, but an animosity and how do you wrap those things together. I think that that's, that can be done really well. Good call, yeah. I like where you have jokes there, or dialogue that's being delivered where somebody has like a trailing comment that's actually really funny.
3: You mind talking a little shop? Sure. When are you authorized to use deadly force?
0: Oh, well, you know, of course, you know, taxes provide your basic service, police and whatnot. Uh-huh. But our customers need a little bit more than that, you know. So if we find you on the property, you know, we do what we have to do.
3: So... If I just look suspicious on your customer's property under those, you know, heightened circumstances, you have the authority to shoot me. Correct. Wow. All right. All right. How'd yeah. you get the gig?
0: Oh, you know, they were hiring. It was only a two-week course. Yeah,
3: it's good. Well, I made it easy. You look good. Yeah, thanks. It's a beauty.
0: So the subtle humor, I think there's a ton of that in this movie. There's tons of sarcasm and, you know, the, sort of a sarcastic edge to everything, which I'm sure you guys can would not be shocked that that relates well to me personally. <laughs> yeah skilled professional killers? I just I admit it as a trope. <laughs> yes, it's there. I like them. Like I like the scene where you open the suitcase and they got the foam and they got the weapons in there. You know, it's just fun. Can can we just just to interrupt you for a sec though? Yeah. The use of the word skilled. Um, yes. I I think we were going to have to talk about that later. I think they go to great lengths to identify him as being very skilled at his profession. He fucks up the Miami job. Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious Colin, you think he's not I think
2: the one- on one battles with other uh, hired killers are just really, really bad. Does he know how to fire a gun? Does anyone in this movie know how to fire a gun? If you yeah, want to try to I kill don't. someone, are you going to use two guns, one in each hand, and just fire wildly? That's what I'm talking about. yeah
0: well that, that that's fair,
2: I guess but it's it's a comedy, so who cares? That's what I'm
1: saying. like as an action movie, this isn't Mission Impossible or, or like a, a great spy assassin movie. Right. Not at all. No, no, no. It's fine. It doesn't take away from the movie at all. No, yeah.
2: it, it doesn't.
0: Subtle physical comedy. Watching the physical interactions between, again, Grocer and Martin Blank, how they're moving back and forth against each other, I think is pretty great. The chemistry between Debbie and Martin Blank in this movie, the, and, the, and their physicality of how they move back and forth with each other, I think is really well done. I just think that that works. I actually think that the fight in this movie, the, the fight choreography is quite well done and that's actually his kickboxing instructor who plays the uh, other assassin. So that was his kickboxing instructor, apparently, that he was working with when he made Say Anything. Oh. Oh. Hmm. Uh, By the way, side note on that one, Danny Trejo said that when he was working with Cusack on Con Air, he said of everybody on the set, the one person that spooked him the most was John Cusack.
2: (laughs) 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 Not what I would expect.
0: And there were like, you know, ex-cons and stuff in that movie. And and he he said he was watching Cusack work with this guy and, and kick a bag He said, Cusack could easily break my ribs if he kicked me. And then last two things I would say, we already talked about the music, but I just think that the music in this movie is just really well done. And I do love kind of callbacks and running jokes, which there are a lot of those things in this movie, right? So there's the stuff about the dog. There's he gets the pen from Ken, which he then uses to kill the guy. And then he later is like, hey, thanks for the pen. I love that kind of humor through a movie. So just basically this movie works for me.
1: I, I agree with everything that you just said. I don't disagree with any anything specific, but I don't think it came together. One of the reviews I read was David Anson from Newsweek. and He said the the movie doesn't completely add up. The parts are greater than the whole, but he still enjoyed it and said it's alive and kicking. But I felt the same thing. I, I felt like a lot of the scenes were really good, but as an overall movie, it just didn't really fit together all that well for me.
2: Was there anything specific in the movie that you just didn't like? It's nothing I didn't like. It just didn't
1: feel, oh, wow, this is great. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's kind of smart dialogue. But I never felt really drawn into it at any point. The two NSA guys trailing him just seemed kind of goofy. and like, <laughs> It was I, kind of goofy. I, I didn't like Aykroyd as the, the grocer all that much. The whole thing just didn't fit tight.
2: I'll say that I think I feel where you're coming from because on this recent rewatch, it sort of lacked some of the shininess that I think it had in my memory. The two NSA guys, Hank Azaria, and I forget the the actor's name, the other actor. I, yeah. I didn't think they had good chemistry. I, I don't know. Dave,
0: what do you think about that particular storyline? I think there's two things that don't work in this movie. And one is the NSA agents. I don't need them in here. And I also think that they complicate the plot. They're there basically because Grocer calls them. And then at the end shootout, he and Cusack shoot the two NSA agents. It doesn't make any sense, right? And I also think that some of the actions of the NSA agents during the film itself. So when Hank Azaria calls into the radio station, if they're supposed to be clandestine, that's obviously like a really bonehead maneuver. So if you were going to make one change to this movie, I would pull the NSA agents out. <clears throat> I just I think it's a useless subplot. Yeah, yeah. I mean
2: th- they're there to kill him, legi- to kill Martin legitimately, and when he attempts to kill the um, the witness. So I understand why they're there. I Just right, I, it's just nothing that from that point on really works with those two characters.
1: Also, oh, that's not the NSA's job, anyway. What are they doing?
2: Well, first of all, that's not, that's not actually their job. <laughs> They're just being to do that. <laughs> I know,
1: but I'm just saying, like, why
2: would they even be there, To like, uh, too? Good good question.
1: It should be the... Um...
0: The CIA, or, or something like that.
2: As far as the NSA agents part not making sense, um, take it with a grain of salt. The guy who wrote this um, wrote it 10 years
0: after high school while
2: he was working at Big Lots,
0: so... <laughs> there's that <laughs> and as a substitute teacher apparently and uh, and he got his high school reunion invitation and decided that he was not going to go so he did not go to his reunion but that's what sparked the actual creation of the script i think that's kind that's of fun. funny
2: so th- this is actually going to be one of my questions did you go to your high school reunion
0: no uh, i've been to my 10th and i think we had a 21st uh, I, did not, <laughs> I did not attend my fifth year purposefully. Well, five years too soon. Five years, you're just going to be all that same old weird energy is going to be there. I had a great time at my 10-year reunion, though. That was kind of fun. And then the last one we went to was also a lot of fun. And it was just interesting because you end up talking to people that you didn't even really talk to that much in high school. So m- by the 20th year reunion, most of whatever the dynamics were had evaporated. I, I did not go to mine.
1: As I say, I didn't get any... Of My proms or any of my dances, I did very little. I was very little connected with my school. I did
0: not go to my reunion either.
1: It would have been more appropriate for me to attend Dave's uh, reunion than uh, than my own.
0: Marcus used to show up on our campus once in a while randomly. Yeah, I
1: knew, I knew a lot more. I hung out with more from the public school than my private school.
2: Talking about the guy who wrote this, uh, his name's Tom Jenkowitz, I think it is? Yeah. The catalyst was getting his invitation to a high school reunion. Now, there's four people who are listed as writing the screenplay. It's him. So I think he actually like probably wrote the screenplay. And then a couple other people probably added to it over time. So there was D.V. Diviscentis, uh, Steve Pink, and John Cusack. I found this really kind of interesting because if you just look at those people in the, terms of the career of John Cusack, D.V. Diviscentis and Steve Pink wrote High Fidelity, which stars John Cusack, and then Steve Pink Directed "Hot Tub Time Machine," also starring uh, John Cusack. By the way, that's a movie that I think is really, really good. It was not on my list for John Cusack movies, but it, it's it's a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys you've probably seen it.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. I have not. No,
2: you've not seen it? Oh, no. it's really it's really good. You should. It's 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 a lot of fun. The
0: hook on that one is a great
2: is a great hook. It, actually,
1: <laughs> it looked kind of goofy when it came out, and like oh, uh, I've heard people talk well about it, but I just never got around to it yet.
2: Well, I'll tell you, it's sort of like this movie, except rather than going to your 10-year high school reunion, you actually go back in time <laughs> 10 years to when you graduated from high school. It's fun. You should definitely check it out. So, and then Steve Pink, he plays a character in this movie.
0: Yeah, he's Terry, the security dude.
2: Yeah, <laughs> which is, I find, <laughs> I find that to be a really fun scene. It's, it's just, yeah. again, like the quirky. Uh, it's funny.
0: So from a filming standpoint, so uh, George Armitage, who directed this, What he did was he said, I want to film this three different ways. So apparently the initial script that they had was a little bit more serious. And so they filmed the serious version. But for every take, he said, let's do it three ways. He said, let's do it normal as the script is. Let's do something mid-range where it's a little bit more quirky. And then he would say, just improv it. There must be just tons of deleted footage available for this in terms of alternate takes, which would be fun to see, although it's never really surfaced anywhere.
2: I don't think there would be. I think they would just be, like, ended up on the cutting room floor.
0: Yeah, well, I'm just curious to know what the, when the final version is, what you see on the screen, how much of it is the improv stuff versus how much of it is filmed as intended based on the script. I well, don't know. Well, I think
2: if you, if you asked George Armitage, it would be, like, it was mostly that, that
0: third take. You would not want this movie to veer anywhere towards being more serious or even more darker because it would... Uh, I think it would not work.
2: Here, here's how I would do it if I was directing the movie. I'd say, like, okay, we're going to do... My take, and then we're going to do a Spielberg take, and then we're going to do a Scorsese take. <laughs> <laughs> you would literally get three different movies.
0: Yeah, and then we're going to do a Kubrick take, which uh, it's going to take twenty-seven <laughs> days to set up the, the one shot where uh, you know it's, it's he films the interaction with his old teacher from fifty-seven different angles, and uh,
1: <laughs> they wanted to initially film it at the uh, Gross Point uh, High School. They tried to get permission from the school board. And they said no, they didn't think it was appropriate to show someone graduating from Gross Point school system to become a hitman.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so odd. There was an urban legend that was attached to this film for a long time that somebody did leave Gross Point High and became an actual hitman. That was an urban legend that circulated. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Kinda of ridiculous. And now when I saw the movie I, that it actually took place in Gross Point, Michigan, clearly they have establishing shots, you know, driving along Lakeshore Drive. To Gross Point, but no, it's it's all L.A. I realize that watching this now, because when he goes to the high school and he talks to his old teacher,
0: I love that scene.
2: I've seen that high school now, like in a million other things. Uh, <laughs> it's it's in Los Feliz. It's John Marshall High School, the downtown Gross Point area. That's actually downtown Monrovia in Southern California. Yeah, I think when I went to visit Detroit with Emily to go visit her family. I was immediately thinking, oh, let's go hit downtown Gross Point," but that <laughs> would have looked very different. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Hollywood. What is your favorite song from this movie? And it could be, it's either your favorite song from the movie or, or what song makes you think of this movie the most? I like a ton of the music in it, but I
1: don't think any of the songs actually make me think of the movie. Like White Lion's Grandmaster Flash doesn't make me think of this one. It's a great song, love it, but reminds me of Andy for whatever reason. Blister in the Sun is definitely driving around San Jose in the back of a Bronco, like screaming that <laughs> right. song at the top of our lungs with like with the girls and stuff. <laughs> a lot of it's so much high school and it just brings me back to those memories and not this maybe in particular. But I, I love the music in it completely.
0: Dave? Probably the song that I think about the most in terms of the association with this film would be the, the Tones on Tail go song. Because for, you know, for whatever reason, maybe I didn't listen to that one as much as the other songs. I, I'm right where Marcus is, which is... Most of the songs in this film are ones that I'm very familiar with and enjoy. I mean, I love all the music, but it's also something that was well established in our psyche before we actually watched this movie. The, the song that I think is used the best is actually the under pressure moment where he's looking at the baby. I think that's actually just a kind of a magical moment. And I, I think that the idea, you know, under pressure and what he's experiencing and he's having that, what is I forget what it's called, like the shakabuka moment or whatever it is where he's getting kicked upside the head. Uh, Mm Yeah, I'll talk about that during the walkthrough. Okay. (laughs) So there is a certain association with Under Pressure to that song, but that's another song that, you know, being a a big Bowie fan, I was already a fan of.
2: How about you? I really like Blister in the Sun, and uh, maybe because it plays across the the end credits. Those songs, I remember them from high school, not as deeply as nostalgic as you guys. Yeah, that would probably be the one that I
0: might make me think about this movie.
2: But I do really love... (laughs) Mirror in the bathroom during the fight scene.
0: Truthfully, when I do think of mirror in the bathroom, that fight scene will pop into my head if I hear that song. So that's one of those associations.
3: Director's Corner.
0: (laughs) I've got so much to say here. (laughs) I was going to say, honestly, not much to say about George Armitage. I am more curious about his career after doing the research and the fact that he only made, he only directed seven films. It started in 1971 with Private Duty Nurses, which I think was maybe part of a Roger Corman production. He might have come out of the Roger Corman, you know, wing, which is kind of interesting because, you know, Roger Corman gave his start to... James Cameron. So James Cameron, um, why am I blanking on fucking Opie's name? What's his name? Ron Howard. (laughs) Thank you. Ron Howard. Uh, So lots of directors actually have come up through the George Corman School of Production and Direction. The George Corman School? (laughs) Sorry, Roger Corman
2: (laughs) The only one movie of his that stood out to me Is a movie called Vigilante Force Starring Chris Christopherson Did you uh,
1: not see Miami Blues? That was the only
2: one I really recognized Vigilante Force, I just love the tagline From the poster They called it God's country Until all hell broke loose
0: That's a pretty great tagline Good stuff Miami Blues is the other film Have you guys seen that movie in a long time? No. no, probably
1: once, and I don't remember it all.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about me picking that movie, because I remember that movie being very interesting, but I, it's it's been so long since I've seen it. Ditto, it's been so long <laughs> since, I've seen, since I've seen it, and
2: I remember really being excited to see it, but I feel like I was sort of disappointed by it. Such great people. Alec Baldwin, Fred Ward, Jennifer, um, Jennifer, Jennifer. Jason, Jennifer. Lee. Jason Lee. Jason Lee. Jason <laughs> Lee. All I had in my head was, love, Hewitt. Wow, very different. Um, Yeah, but I I feel like I was disappointed. That's why I've never seen it again. But maybe I'm wrong. I doubt it. Maybe you should pick it.
0: Well, I'm just wondering about going back and seeing the Alec Baldwin character and the comparisons to Martin Blank. That's actually what I'm sort of interested in, because both characters definitely have a psychopathic, or at least certainly a sociopathic edge. Because I remember Alec Baldwin breaks the guy's finger in the airport or whatever. The guy goes into shock. You remember that? Barely. It was 30 years ago. Yeah, so anyways, uh, I think we can all say uh, not much to say about George Armitage, uh, but I did really <laughs> enjoy this movie, so just shout out to George. Thanks, buddy.
3: <laughs> Casting call.
0: We've already talked a lot about him, but uh, John Cusack as Martin Blank. Again, this is one of my all-time favorite performances from an actor, and this is the example for me of, I think, an actor being melded with the material perfectly. So it just works for me.
2: This is where I think,
0: you know, with John Cusack's name
2: as one of the writers of this movie, he probably rewrote lines and did improv, and that's why he's listed. This is sort of like quintessential Cusack, and I think that he's probably brought a lot of that to the actual dialogue, because he does it so well, right? It's sort of like in his wheelhouse, and this is Cusack, and which is probably why you love it so much, because it's, it is top. Or or as you said, it's peak Cusack.
0: He has a lot of consistent themes that he brings to his characters. A lot of times they're very smart. There's an edge of the quirky outsider piece of it. So there's a lot of his characters. There's Venn diagrams that overlap in terms of the core elements of their personality. And and this is, I think, a good way that, or a good example of bringing together all those elements in something that's very successful.
2: Now, thinking back to it, I would say Lloyd Dobler is Martin Blank in high school. His rejection... By whatever, Ioni Sky (laughs) led him. That's why he snaps. Let let him to become a professional killer.
0: Well, one thing about that scene, apparently, Cusack was arguing for I forget what the song was that he wanted to hold up on the boombox, but it was not the Peter Gabriel song, and it was something more aggressive. The director of the film said, "Dude, you can't play that song because you're going to come across as a stalker." (laughs) (laughs) Good call. John Cusack has the iconic film moment of standing there holding the boombox. Yeah, for sure. So a mini driver in this movie is fantastic. The chemistry between Minnie Driver and John Cusack in this movie is just off the charts. I mean, it's just fantastic. It's they're just crackling the moment, the very first time he steps into the the DJ booth with her. And she is tons of fun, and she's pretty manic in this film as well. She's going all over the place on this emotional roller coaster after seeing him and doubting him and being angry, but potentially still being in love with him. And I just think that she carries it all off. Perfectly. I I love this performance from Minnie Driver. What you said, totally, yeah,
2: you you sort of nailed it. She's almost like the perfect foil to John Cusack. Their sparring is just so much fun to watch, and yet she wants to just, like, be with him. Jump him. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and yet she she does it because she'd rather fuck with him first. They seem like they were smoking hot in high school and a day has not passed, right? It's just like, wow. I didn't remember it being... That good, that chemistry.
1: For me, she's the MVP of the movie for sure. She really sells that role of like being angry with them, being upset, but still like wanting him, is confused by it all. And like, she does a really great job with her whole role and, and that interaction is fantastic.
2: I agree with you, Marcus, because I'm not a huge Mini Driver fan, but man, I, I just couldn't take my eyes
0: off her on the screen. She was so good in this movie. Yeah. Back and forth. The sparring is a good way to put it because she wants to kiss him, but she's not going to let him kiss her Damn. and all of it just and it's all going so fast just it's so much fun i love the chemistry between these two
2: right now they're they're in the high school they're oh they're gonna get it on and what does she do she slaps him and she's like yeah <laughs> yeah i to get that out of the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just, like, so good
0: so you have dan Aykroyd as grocer and i'll just say that in general i'm not a huge dan Aykroyd film career fan i think that he was great on saturday night live and i love him in the sketch comedy stuff and I think some of the movies I think about, okay, he's in Trading Places, but that's probably more of an Eddie Murphy vehicle. He's in Ghostbusters. Yeah. Obviously, he has a great ensemble around him. I think he's a very talented actor, particularly in, in the sketch comedy stuff. I think he anchored a lot of Saturday Night Live and just crushed it. But his film career has been very weird to me. And and the grocer energy to me is it mostly works, but it's also he's just an odd guy. I think it's an interesting performance. Yeah, I don't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I just he just doesn't come across believable, and the whole interaction and just the union and all of that didn't fit, didn't work for me.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not a big Dan Aykroyd fan either. I think he's got sort of a, a shtick, and I could see this character of grocer—that's his secret job that he keeps hidden from everyone else—but by day he's actually respected, auto parts magnate named Zelinsky from yeah. Tommy Boy. It's like it's almost the same character, but on the side he just kills people. Yeah, he's, he's not my favorite actor, but it's kind of fun to watch him and Martin play cat and mouse and their uneasy
0: interactions with each other. I mean, that that's kind of fun to watch. Oh, my God. I love it. You know, the, the opening handshake that they have between the two of them, like yeah. when he pulls up in the car. <laughs> yeah. I, I could watch that scene over and over again and just uh. it makes me smile every single time because kind of the gleam in Cusack's eyes when even like how Grocer pulls up and he throws the phone into the car and then they step forward and they have this mutual respect but of course they're afraid of each other I just I love that interaction so I think the chemistry between the two of them is really good otherwise Ackroyd for me is just sort of uh okay I guess is how I would think about it
2: right I feel like you could have put somebody else in there and it might have been better it's still yeah. good but certainly the the chemistry that he has Cusack has with many drivers just like off the charts.
1: You needed Marvin from uh, Midnight Run?
2: <laughs> that, uh, well, yeah, that could have been interesting.
0: But I also think from a chemistry standpoint, the chemistry that he has with his sister is actually fantastic. So, Oh, God.
1: With Joan Zach, Oh, she's horrible. She's what? No. <laughs> she is horrible. What? Oh, I did not like her at all. I like it. What are you talking about, man? Dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> she was so annoying. I just did not like her at all in this whole movie. I didn't like it.
0: Not oh, a fan. I think it's great. I love uh, it. Gone, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm
2: with you. I love it. I, I think John is yeah. great. I I think it, it's just the whole idea that they're actually brother and sister in real life. They have a close relationship in this movie as well. No, I love it. I, I that's a bad take, Marcus. Bad
0: take.
1: <laughs> that is a bad Sorry. take, Marcus. Sorry. I just didn't uh, it didn't sell for me.
0: Then next up, Alan Arkin has Doctor Oatman. <laughs> He's my acting MVP number one for this movie. And you know what I realized between this and Edward Scissorhands? I'm apparently a huge Alan Arkin fan. And I I guess I'm just coming to that realization now because his performance as beleaguered Dr. Oatman and and scared Dr. Oatman is fucking fantastic. He cracks me up. I love his scene. He does a good job with it. He is good. He's quite good in this role.
2: I wouldn't give him MVP. I'm I'm not a huge Alan Arkin fan, but over the last 30 years of his career, I've appreciated him a lot more.
0: So the NSA agents, we've talked about this, but Hank Azaria and K. Todd Freeman. So those are the two NSA agents. For whatever reason, I guess I'm not a big Hank Azaria fan. What? Come on.
1: Six-time Emmy Award winner Hank Azaria? Chief Wiggum? Mo. Come on.
0: (laughs) His voice work is fine, but it's it's not so much even necessarily him. I just think that the two of them, they're the characters that take this movie briefly off course for a minute. I totally agree. Yeah. I, I don't love it.
1: I agree with you on that. I like Hank. His role in this is not great, but it's not his fault.
0: Jeremy Piven as Paul. And apparently Jeremy Piven and John Cusack were actual high school friends. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They've been friends for a long time. They grew up in the same town, Evanston, Illinois. And Piven's parents ran a, uh, a theater workshop there, which uh, they both went to.
2: I think a lot of the Cusacks went to. Yeah.
1: They worked together in serendipity.
2: They seem very natural together. They've been in a lot of movies together, been close friends since high school. They went to high school together. I think they might have been like a year apart. If you do some searches on Jeremy Piven in high school, you can see him on the football team with a huge amount of hair. Really? Um, so. He loses it quickly. <laughs> yeah.
0: He does. He does. When I was doing research on this and I was looking at you know Jeremy Piven and in relation to this movie... There's all these articles that that are about tracking his hairline between this and Entourage. (laughs) There's some obsession there. It's a big point of focus for whatever reason.
1: 10-year reunion, that poor hairline. (laughs) And I looked up, yeah, he's the right age. He was 27, 28
2: when this movie was filmed. I had the same thought. And it wasn't necessarily just because of Jeremy Piven. This is really their 10-year reunion, so they're probably like 28 years old. Everyone in the movie seems a lot more advanced for 28. Yeah, all their ages are like tracked
1: to it. Even mini Driver, they're all the same. They the are, right the actors
2: here. are, but they just seem older for some strange reason.
1: And then when Terry came in, the uh, the other scene, the security guard. Yeah. He comes in, I'm like, oh my God, his hair is even worse.
2: <laughs> right. Now, I didn't look up Steve
0: Pink's age, but... Um... <laughs> I, maybe I'm just blind to it or I'm unaware, but is there some sort of Jeremy Piven broader yes. hair concern out there? Like, what's well, the deal? I think like, he had a uh, toupee and stuff,
1: and so he tried to cover it up in different movies. Yeah. And
2: Yeah, he was definitely yeah. not
0: leaning into his baldness.
1: Yeah, I think he was sensitive to it.
0: There was a, a mystifying amount of energy on that particular topic when I was doing reading about this movie for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, My notes, Jeremy Piven,
2: Paul. It's been a rough 10 years for Paul's hairline. <laughs> 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 uh, yes. Sometimes I I really like Jeremy Piven and sometimes I don't. It it really depends on the material. I fucking love him. I love Jeremy Piven in this movie. I think he's he's got the right energy. And I think it's probably because he's got a lot of good chemistry with John Cusack. And I don't know. I think they would be a totally fun hang as long as you don't ask Cusack about his early movies.
1: (laughs) You like Entourage that too, right? You like Ari Gold? He's yeah, fantastic. but Ari's an He's an asshole, but he's, like, he's asshole, fantastic. But, but he's yeah. still You don't fun. want to be his friend, but
2: like, he's No, funny. I don't want to be his friend. <laughs> I want him to pay for dinner, but I don't want to be his friend. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I do think the scene of the two of them in the car when they're driving around, that's that's great chemistry, too. feels Open supernatural.
3: Market. That's good. Wow. Ten years, man! Ten, ten years! Ten years! Ten! Ten years! Ten years! I freaked out! I joined the army! I work for the government. I went into uh, business with myself. I'm a professional killer. That's what I did. Okay. Well, can I join up? Yes. <laughs> Come on. Well, well, how's your mom, man? Is
0: she still... Is she- or you totally buy the relationship, which makes sense because they were real friends in in their high school days. Yeah. Uh, and the last person I just wanted to point out is that uh, there's a guy, his name's Duffy Taylor, who plays <laughs> Ultimart Carl. Yes. <laughs> that's my second acting MVP because when Cusack goes in and the conversation they have at that point
3: what are you doing here I'm doing a double shift what's it look like how long have you worked here a couple months yeah Is a manager here do you have a supervisor no how long have they worked here I'm not telling you yeah where do you live I'm not telling you that either where's your manager live who I used to what are you doing here what are I you, work here. What are you doing here? I work here. And how long have you worked here? Only a couple months. All right, all right. What's done is done. Just forget about the whole thing. You all right, man?
0: Sure. I, I fucking love that scene. That
2: is a great scene. Sure. Like, I don't know. The way it shot, too, it shot long. And yeah. I don't know, like, what it was. But somehow, like who, I've never heard of this guy, the actor. But, yeah, yeah that conversation, it was killing it. It was like. How long they worked here? I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like asking all these like really weird questions. to this guy, it's almost like they said they didn't give him a script. And they said just
0: improv the whole thing. And the great thing is he's feeding off of Cusack's energy. I just love that moment too, because he can't process what's happening. <laughs> so uh, it just works. Great job, Duffy Taylor. It is totally funny scene. Yeah. I would just like to give a shout out to uh, the
2: almost entire Cusack family. Yeah, who were in this film? <laughs> like, obviously John and Joan, but then there was Anne Cusack who played the drunk woman at the Hippo Club. Bill Cusack, his older brother, was was a waiter. Her coming in really
1: confused me with her with the Marcella Joan character.
2: You thought it was Joan? Yeah,
1: I'm like, why is she here? Like, what's going on? This is like, did she fly there because she's trying to interrupt this? She's trying to hook him up. She's trying to warn him. Like, it really confused me for a bit.
2: I know exactly what you mean, because I, I had been watching like a show several years ago, and Ann Cusack was in it. She had a small part, and I was just like, oh my God, it's Joan Cusack. Wait a minute, wait a minute. is that is <laughs> it Joan Cusack? Yeah. Is it? And yeah. then, thus, I learned the existence of Ann Cusack. Yeah. And definitely a, a working actor. I'd actually like to see more of Ann Cusack. I think she's great. I think the only people who weren't in this were um, his older sister, Susie Cusack, and then their father, Dick Cusack.
0: Yep, this is a chock full of
2: Cusacks. It's chock full of Cusacks. It's a family affair.
0: All right, Marcus, you want to hit us with the plot summary?
1: Professional killer Martin Q. Blink returns to Gross Point for one last job in his 10-year high school reunion. Can he navigate the reunion awkwardness, avoid hitmen trying to kill him, and win back his college sweetheart he stood up on prom night 10 years ago?
3: Opening questions.
0: I'll ask one question, which is, what genre do you think this movie is? How would you describe this movie from a genre standpoint, in terms of the dominant genre, I guess? I would
1: call it a romantic comedy, but it misses. It's it's not a great romantic comedy, but uh, that's where I would probably place it. Sorting boxes at the blockbuster, that's what the section I would put it in.
2: I would call it a black romantic action comedy. <laughs>
1: yeah, but that's just too many words. They don't I mean, have that section at blockbuster.
2: Right. Action comedy. I do think that it is a romantic comedy. The best action comedy, I think, is like Beverly Hills Cop, right?
1: Perfect example of action yeah, comedy. Yeah, sure.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah. Or, or,
1: or Midnight Run's another good one. Like, it doesn't have that feel to it. I expect more action, and this one doesn't have. So would have... you say
0: that Midnight Run is not a romantic comedy, because they're not going the, for that between uh, De Niro and the, Grodin? Oh, they definitely yeah, it's love each other. Bro,
1: a bromance.
2: It's a bromance. <laughs> it's a bromance. Yeah.
0: One of the reasons why I like this movie, I do, for the most part, enjoy when tones drift a little bit. It, it just makes things kind of unexpected and fun, but... I can't think of another action romantic comedy. Can, or just off the top of my head. Can you guys think of one?
1: Romancing the Stone. They're more like adventure. Even, even like Raiders and some of those. But those aren't.
0: Yeah, Raiders, the romance is a very, very small part of it. Raiders is not a
1: comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm just
0: saying the <laughs> romantic part of like a romantic action. By the way, Raiders is not a comedy, but it has one of the great comedic moments of all time when Marion flips the mirror and gets him in the chin and he has to scream. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that is that's great.
2: I I would say like Romancing the Stone is a possible. Yeah, that's that's a good one.
1: That one focuses a lot more on the action and not as much comedy, right? In comedy mixed in. It's an
2: adventure romance comedy. Yeah. I don't know. I just like the fact that they blended a a few genres into this romantic comedy. Yeah, me too. All right, any other
0: opening questions from
1: you guys? Uh, This was in 1997. And you have a very bad person, a assassin going to a psychiatrist. Is this the first time you see that? The Sopranos wasn't until 1999. Is this the first uh, bad person going to Psychiatrist?
0: What was that Billy Crystal movie, Analyze This, I think? When did that but come out? That was in the 2000s, I
2: think. Okay. that was Because that was definitely post-Sopranos. I think it was like playing off the Sopranos. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. I think. Now, someone look it up.
1: 1999, also the same year. It's oh, the same. Sopranos. Oh, interesting. Both of them, two years after this one. Did uh, John Cusack set a trend? Like Oh, bad guy going to psychiatrist. Humanizes him? Possibly.
2: Do you have the answer to that question? Like, is there? No, I don't. I uh, don't. It's a, it's a question. Stumped. If if any of our listeners knows the answer to this <laughs> question, please email us at feedback at realdmc.com or hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, that's an interesting question.
0: All right, you guys ready to jump into this thing? Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, so I do like the opening, and this is one of the examples of where I think the music is used quite effectively because... It's a guy who's about to shoot somebody and you have bright, sunshiny day playing. So it's this nice, upbeat song that's going along. And I do think that this scene does a lot to establish his character. So it, it's great back and forth between himself and Joan Cusack. So it establishes their relationship. I do think that him using the, you know, the eye moistener before he's going to look through the scope and then also the way that he tracks the gun with, with the guy when he's on the bike Colin, those are two examples of where I think it shows him that he is a pro at his job, that he's very proficient as a killer.
2: I don't agree because he puts the the drops in his eyes like right before. And yeah. uh, as we all know, when you put drops in your eyes for a, like at least like 10 seconds, you know, you could have wavy vision. So I think that's a bad idea. But but I'll, I'll go with it. Yes, he, he obviously he, he's he's a professional this be the time to
0: out yourself as a uh, as a as a hobbyist optometrist. <laughs> a, no, but I'm a professional <laughs> drops user. I do think that Joan Cusack's delivery where she's rattling off the jobs that other people have had while he's a professional killer and he's in the act of killing. And one of them's like, maybe you'll own a cheese shop or something like that. I just think that the contrast is kind of fun. So the idea that it's it's also setting up the early, you know, what are you doing with your life? Oh, I'm a professional killer. The contrast between what he's doing and what other people are getting rattled off on the invitation is pretty fun.
2: Yeah, I, I agree because it's it's almost like while well, he's just sort of like multitasking, he's talking to his secretary while he's doing his job and stuff. It's just right. that his job is preparing to kill someone. <laughs> I don't think you've ever seen that before.
0: It's like he's putting something back in the filing cabinet. Like that's the level right. of angst he has about the whole situation. It's just another day of work.
2: Exactly. That's why I, I just love that whole concept of, oh, I'm a, a professional killer has like a secretary. Who right. like, takes calls from him and gives him messages and all that stuff? It's usually some sort of, you know, today you'd see it. It would be coded transmissions and got to have a contact. And, but no, he just has a secretary. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's very funny. He's got his little headset on. Uh,
0: it's good stuff. Yeah. By the way, the, the headset and the wardrobe that he rocks throughout this whole movie does a lot for his character as well. And you know, he looks great, suit and tie most of the time. And it does a lot to frame his character up nicely.
2: I think somebody's got a man crush.
0: <laughs> oh, total man crush. Wait, did I not, have I not made that clear? Not explicitly. You have now.
2: I
1: think he looks awful. I'm not a fan of his, his outfits in any of it.
0: Oh, but really? Well, you know, I guess I I sort of associate the look as kind of the Cusack look. It's totally Cusack. Yeah, it's
1: totally. Yeah, cool. it's it is a weird. Cusack look, but he's not a good, like he's not stylish. No, I'm not buying it.
2: No, oh, I like it. Replace the black shirt with his suit with a white shirt, and he's from the Grifters.
1: I don't think it's a good look, and it's hard to fault him because it's the '90s. And if he saw the Last Dance with Jordan in his suits, terrible suits. <laughs> the '90s were not great for suits.
2: Yeah, they were. Uh, <laughs> they were these big baggy things. Yeah. Oh my God! Hey, don't knock it because it probably about ten years that'll come back. It'll all come back. <laughs>
1: Thank God I don't have to wear a suit
2: anymore.
0: I, I will say the one thing that does annoy me a little bit about this scene: Grocer fires maybe twenty to thirty bullets out of his two six-shot revolvers. <laughs> so that, <laughs> some of the gun work in this—they're uh, not really great when it comes to ammunition management. But whatever. Also, hey, Grocer, very subtle. Yeah. Fully decked out in the uh, the bellman's outfit. Uh, so they have the conversation afterwards, and I just love the fact that, you know, they're lying to each other. Hey, where are you? I'm in Istanbul, or whatever he says. And then they, they come up, and I already talked about this, but I do the handshake moment and the physicality between the two of them, I just think is is really well done. It's just tons of fun.
2: I like the the, the conversation about
0: the union
2: idea, and they're talking about the different assassins. Oh, the dwarf ladies? Yeah, the stabbers.
0: Like, the stabbers. <laughs> the stabbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Joan Cusack throws over a possible job option to him, which is blowing up a Greenpeace boat. (laughs) She's also sociopathic, one would assume, if she's just casually throwing that over as an option. She's like, it'll be easy. (laughs) (laughs) She's a pro. Him saying he has scruples. They do try to paint what is a very dark character with occasional brushes of lightness or morality. Although he doesn't get very far with it, honestly. But one, one other line that I think is just a great piece of dialogue is he asks, "You know, did she go to her high school reunion?" You and, know, when
3: you start getting invited to your ten year high school reunion, time is catching up. Are you talking about a sense of my own mortality or a fear of death? Well, I never really thought about it quite like that. Did you go to yours? Yes, I did. It was just as if everyone had swelled. I just find
0: it. It annoying. was just as if everyone had swelled. You're right. was <laughs> <That's> pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just love the dialogue in this movie. I think it's so incredibly creative. So it switches and shows him in the Miami job. And this is where, upon my rewatch, I was like, wow, this is pretty dark. Because it shows him, and he's getting ready to poison a guy. So he's just poisoned him in his sleep. And it's all very casual, very workmanlike. You know, he's doing what he needs to do. I do think, again, it shows him having a certain level of proficiency at his job. Because that's a pretty creative and interesting way to kill somebody. I just That in and of itself, I think, is... Pretty interesting, just the whole design of what they're gonna do makes me wonder: has that ever been tried somewhere? Is that is that a real thing? Did they just make it up for this movie? I don't know. Agreed. I thought it was like a
2: really, really unique way to deliver poison. Highly risky, though. It
1: seemed like it wouldn't work. Oh, and it didn't.
2: (laughs) Sort of, yeah. But like you said, oh, you remembered it. This is a lot darker than you remember, because I think in your mind you're thinking like, oh, this it's such a great movie. It's very funny he's plays a professional killer but you're not really thinking about him it's just like the idea of him being a professional killer rather than him actually killing people and then right. when you see him killing people you're like oh yeah okay yeah he's definitely yeah, a professional, he's a professional killer killer
0: yep. <laughs> and he has no qualms about doing it well oh, yeah well i think it's an interesting choice because they don't establish the why why he's there who this guy is what did he do he references at some point that he mostly wants to kill bad people or when he's talking to the psychiatrist, he says, it's most likely you did something bad to have me show up at your door. But that's not proven necessarily. A- again, that's just, eh, it's its a little dark. Well, yeah. But he, although he does get,
2: get a very thick dossier on his targets, so he could no. probably make that judgment for himself.
0: Right. And if you assume that he is not going to blow up the Greenpeace boat, that maybe he's being somewhat selective on his choices. What if Hitler was on the boat? Well, then you got to blow it up, right? So, and then he goes back to the office. Why do you think Joan Cusack is ribbing him so much about going? Is she just doing it for fun? Is she just curious to see what would happen? What's her angle?
2: That's what older sisters do. I think she thinks it'd be funny. She, <laughs> yes, funny, but also uh, I think she's trying to be supportive. Like, get out, have a life, go see, go back home. Yeah. Uh, connect with your former self. All you do is kill, kill, kill.
0: Yeah, that's right, because she, uh, she comments that he might be a little bit down because of his job.
2: I mean, I can't imagine why he, he would be down. I mean, all he
0: does is kill people every day. Right. By the way, Marcus, from a wardrobe standpoint, I do think the Joan Cusack outfit in this one's a little questionable. Oh, I, I thought it was
2: hilarious. The
1: line well, I, I love that it
0: allows him to deliver the line about Sergeant Pepper. Like he says, yeah, say, it's hey, great, Sergeant Pepper. But otherwise, I'm just wondering, <laughs> I mean, did they specifically just have her wear that shirt so he could deliver that line? If so, it works. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Then Martin Blank goes to see the psychiatrist. I love the Alan Arkin you energy. You're just
3: upset because I told you what I do for a living and you got upset and you're letting it interfere with our dynamic? Whoa. Martin, you didn't tell me what you did for a living. For- yes, I did. You didn't tell me what you did for a living for four sessions. Then you told me. And I said, I don't want to work with you. And yet you come back every week at the same time. That's a
0: difficulty for me. On At one point, that. Martin Blank references that he knows where he lives. And then <laughs> Alan, Alan Arkin's response is like, you said it, and now I have to deal with that. and he's right, exactly. <laughs> That's not a nice thing to say.
2: If you're like a professional killer, maybe don't throw out the
0: sarcastic comments. The dryness of his delivery on some of those lines is just so great. He's like, you keep coming back. That's a difficulty for me. <laughs> <So> <laughs> or, I know the law, but I don't want to be withholding because I'm very serious about the process. And Martin's yeah. looking past, you know, the angst, which is a good sign that he's a sociopath, right? There's no empathy there. Yeah, Yeah, there's no empathy. The back and forth between the two of them is great. And then I love how it sets him up that he's so angry and frustrated that he's stuck in this situation because it it, it cuts to him eventually where he's like smashing the phone when Martin calls him. (laughs) Dude is terrified, which is strangely funny. Again, we talked about the NSA guys. They're following him in the car. The back and forth dialogue between the two of them is, I think it's okay, but it all seems out of everything in this movie, the dialogue between the two of them feels a little bit forced to me versus a lot of the other character interaction feels more natural. So that's why I just think it sticks out a little bit.
2: I do have one question and that is, why do all professional hitmen drive Lincoln Town Cars? Is that just a rule that you have, to, you have to rent a town car? I thought the same thing. I thought his car choice was quite strange. I've been to Detroit. I've been to Michigan. People are big into American cars there. Maybe that's why it actually does blend in. He does make that comment, too, a couple times about people
1: driving uh, BMWs and, and foreign right, cars. Right, you're, you're not
2: driving American? Mm. You're driving foreign? Yeah.
1: His outfit makes him look like a limo driver, so the Lincoln Town Car does kind of fit,
0: so...
2: Yeah, I'm Maybe. surprised nobody's trying to hire him. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: hey, can you get me to the airport?
0: There's something about the black, the all-black baseball cap, too, that's just kind of weird looking. It's an interesting look because you just don't see people in everyday life wearing a, just
2: a fully black baseball a cap. A solid
0: black baseball cap, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I've ever, I'm was, I was trying to think, I'm like, have I ever seen that out in
2: the world? Not really. Maybe only sociopaths wear them. Maybe it's symbolic and he was trying to go for the, yes, I'm literally the black hat guy. The white hats and the yeah. black hats, and
0: well, and he swings by his old high school, and I love this exchange with his teacher. <laughs> oh my God, it's, it's great! Still,
3: um, you know, inflicting all that horrible Ethan Frome damage is that off the curriculum? It's off the curriculum now. Oh, it's horrible. But. It's a very
2: nice tie you have on. Oh, you yeah. look like uh,
3: a mortician. I mean, <laughs> you like it? Yeah, thanks. So you still I got, got that whole Mary Tyler Moore thing? Yeah, thank you, thank you.
0: That's There's great. a couple of things they do here, right? So one, they reference that the teacher says, "Oh my gosh, you know, where did you end up?" Because we all thought Princeton, Harvard. So it sets up the fact that. He's a highly intelligent character. The repartee between the two of them. And, and you got that whole Mary Tyler Moore thing going on. So. I,
2: I did just like laughed out loud when I heard that line. <laughs> it's like perfect. Just good writing, right? For that specific scene. And, and a lot of these scenes, they haven't seen each other in 10 years. And yet immediately, there's like this sparring going on. It's so good.
0: Yeah, so it kind of establishes a little bit of maybe the lore of who Martin was too, which is kind of fun because you imagine that he was probably intelligent, probably a smart ass, Charismatic. somebody who had a good time interacting with his teachers.
2: Right. I feel like he was most popular in high school. Everyone knows him. Everyone recognizes him 10 years later. I haven't seen him in 10 years. And they're excited to see him too. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Everyone's excited to see him though, because he also just disappeared. If, if someone just disappeared on prom night and wasn't seen in 10 years, that means... Usually it's a month right. or so before graduation. Do you just not finish the year, not graduate? It definitely would be a mystery.
0: It's a great hook, actually. It really is. If you think about somebody, you know, particularly somebody who was popular in school and yeah. was well-known, to just pull that is... Oh, for sure. That's a pretty good hook from a story standpoint.
2: You do wonder, because this seems like a fairly tight-knit community. People must have asked his parents you know, what happened to him, and yeah. they must not have known either. So this, this begs the question... Did anyone think that he'd been, like, killed or murdered and the body was never found? Like, he just, like, went missing. Did anybody alert the FBI? It seems like there would have been a manhunt and people would have been like, Martin, you're still alive. Oh, my God.
0: Moving forward a little bit. So, I think we covered the Ultimart, his first, you know, going back and seeing his house as a convenience store. I I do love the fact that (laughs) it it comes out that uh, his friend Paul was the one that brokered the deal (laughs) to sell his house to the (laughs) Ultimart. He's like, thank you for profiting off my
1: childhood or whatever he says. It seems like for the parents too, for people to go ask them, it seems like they just quickly wrote in, okay, we need to address the parents and get rid of them as quickly as possible.
0: That's where I was going with it because I guess the question I had is, and this is one of those things that just probably flew right by me when I watched this when I was younger, but now I'm thinking about it a little bit and saying, yeah. okay, well, what relationship did he actually have with his parents? Because he references at one point you know, during the gun battle at the at the very end, something about having a dark childhood or having some problems in his childhood
2: well his yeah his father's is probably an ab- abusive alcoholic because he goes yeah. to visit the grave right all he does is just pour a bottle of, of whiskey out on the grave and then drops the bottle and walks away
0: yeah that, that's a great scene by the way that's um some
2: some good genuine acting it communicates a lot without saying anything it ends up being kind of dark, too.
1: So it makes you, it does make you wonder, like, why did he just disappear that night? And he kind of explains it. I'm still not quite sure <laughs> the answer.
0: Well, I, I guess the question is, what did he tell his parents? That, that's really what I wonder. I mean, did his parents think that he just disappeared as well? Because then it gets back to, yeah, there would have been some kind of a manhunt, right? He must have provided some explanation as to what he was doing.
2: I think his father was probably already dead, probably drank himself to death while he was still no, like in, he in, in high No, he wasn't dead yet. School. I,
1: I looked at his grave. It was a couple years after. The great, the tombstone that had the years. Oh, okay. It was like four or five years before, the, uh, before this.
2: He must have left without telling anyone, just joined the army, and that was it. And didn't, never wrote home. Which again is, you know, I think that would be highly unusual today that the FBI wasn't called.
1: Or maybe like his dad was so drunk he didn't care and his mom was. Well, his mom may have been, yeah.
0: His mom may have been sl- sliding into mental illness of some kind. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. And no, now it's like they didn't
1: notice. Maybe that's maybe that's a sad truth there, right? Yeah,
0: that's the other scene for me that when I went back, oh, a little, a little darker than I recall because it's harder now to see somebody dealing with a parent that's having dementia issues. Oh, good God! Yeah, and with our with our relative ages, it's we have a different perspective on that now.
2: But think about that scene too. He doesn't seem too broken up about the whole situation, which makes perfect sense because he doesn't have any empathy.
0: He's angry towards his mom. There's some anger there for whatever reason. Like I don't, I don't know. You don't know what the backstory is, but it does kind of reinforce the idea that he had some unpleasantness in his childhood. Certainly, yeah.
2: when he drove up to his home and he gets out of the car, the look on his on his face, the confusion, is really really good. I don't know. He was like really
0: bringing it, and I was just laughing. And that carries straight over to when he's walking around inside and he's, he's walking up to things and he's looking at the wall like, it's, you know, it's like he's, and then he goes always, to the back of the wait, store. He's wait, like, I'm standing where my living room used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: he's just seems to be in a fugue and he's like, is this my home? I don't know. Like, where? what? He's just so, it's so confused and he plays it really yeah. well. I'm wondering now if they just told the actor who plays the, the clerk, just improv this.
0: Just react. Yeah. Yeah really funny scene i want to go it. go back and watch it when he goes by the radio station so this is where he goes in and sees debbie and you know and i love the fact that she's narrating a little bit about what's going on over the radio and there's so much about this scene we've talked about it we talked about it before but just i love him fidgeting in the chairs he's looking behind him he's uncomfortable with the window being behind him so he's kind of a damaged individual imagine a situation where you had you know that 18 year old love with somebody and it was a big relationship and you had all those emotions and then imagine if there was just a 10-year window and then you went back and you were right back into it and just how weird that would be like no i mean you've evolved as a person but you would still have that your most recent memory of interacting with that individual would be that 18 year old energy and i just think it's pretty interesting and i think they carry it off fantastically
1: as I going to say the very weird part of that scene is that open when he first walks in, she just kisses him. It threw me off and confused the entire scene for me because, like, why would she do that? It just doesn't seem like the first reaction of you seeing someone 10 years later. I love the scene. Once they get past that and then, like, it seems a lot more natural. But just that opening kiss just seemed like, what? Wait. And then as it unravels, I like, did not pick her up at prom night. <laughs> like, it's not even like left her on prom night. It's just like, we we're supposed to go to prom. It you're just supposed stood to be there at 7. Yeah. And you just, yeah, did not show up. And I haven't seen you ten years since. It seems like that would not be the first reaction of him walking in the door, would be kissing him, and that kind of made it a bit weird. But overall, I love the the whole on screen. She, her asking questions to the audience and all of that is like fantastic, really well done.
2: I love that because it's so unexpected. In fact, that was totally improv by Mini Driver. Yeah, what it signals is immediately is that oh my god, I still have strong feelings for you. But then she pulls back. And starts yeah. giving it to him and doing this live radio interview. Very public, very inventive too. But Dave, to your point, yeah, I found it so interesting because you think you haven't seen someone in 10 years. You just think this is going to be really, really awkward, but they're just right back into the sparring and the the, the chemistry yeah. that they had. It's like they picked up right where they left off and it's not that awkwardness. Now she's making him feel very uncomfortable, but it's not because they don't know what to say to each other and it's, you know, because yeah, yeah. that's, that's what that interaction would be like in any other circumstance. And that's why I find this particular scene to be
0: so much fun because it's not what you expect. I love the moment where she puts the headphones on his head in a way that is going to be a little bit uncomfortable, kind of snaps him onto his ears, right? <laughs> yeah. Little elements of communicating that I'm pissed off at you, but I'm still attracted yeah. to you. And-
2: He's very uneasy. Think about the scenes with Grosser where he's also very uneasy. With Grosser, maybe he actually does have this sort of like the frenemy relationship. Well, certainly interacting with
0: Debbie makes him very uneasy as well. Yeah, he goes in there initially and then he walks out and then he right. walks back in. So he isn't even sure like what the fuck he's doing. He's, he's yeah. very confused. And, then, and, and I think the narration too. And it's walking right back into my booth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fact that it's also all on air. It's, re- it's really well done. The chemistry between Minnie Driver and John kiesack in this movie just—it's off the charts. It's just amazing. She doesn't really know
2: what to make of this whole situation, and she, so she's—and uh, here's the specials doing one of their songs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I mentioned this earlier, but I do think having the NSA agent call in is a, a very strange choice for such a smart script. That's such a stupid thing to right, do. Right? Why would they do that? That was one of the things that just kind of stuck out for me. Yeah. The one thing I will say about it, I love it when he calls in. First time, long time. <laughs> he throws that <laughs> out there, so <laughs> that's pretty funny.
2: I think Kazaria was like, "You got to give us something. Give us something to to do. That's funny. They could have just cut them out.
0: So then this is where he meets up with Paul, so Jeremy Piven, and you know, they they drive around and. The dialogue in the car, the way Jeremy Piven delivers, you know, the fact that his parents have fallen apart and he's smoking a joint and he's like, my mom's making fucking ceramic nightlights or whatever. He's like, just, you know, <laughs> he's so dismissive and just kind of downtrodden. And uh, I just love all that. The interaction that they have with Terry, the security guard, he basically says that as long as somebody is on the property and acting suspicious, he, he can shoot. shoot them at will. So,
2: <laughs> In
0: hindsight,
2: it's not so funny anymore. But it's very Cusack. It's very Leighton Meyer. It's like <laughs> in all of his movies, really. But I do like with Jeremy Piven, and I love how has been 10 years. Oh, my God. Oh, boom. They just fall right back into that's exactly what you would do if like you hadn't seen your friend and like, like one of your best friends in so many years. You do that. You just like fall right back into the, the banter and all this stuff. So really well done. Again, I think that's probably a lot of that is their relationship their actual friendship in
0: in real life yeah and i do like him kind of processing you know their initial meeting somewhat casually and then when he's in the car he all of a sudden he has that 10 years he yells yeah <laughs> dude do you re- realize how weird it is that you just disappeared for 10 fucking years i mean i just the, the back and forth in the car is great yeah so when martin goes back to the ultimart and this is where there's a shootout and a couple things about this scene why did they take the time to create a Doom arcade game? I just, I found that sort of interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they had it.
0: Doom was never in uh, a stand up okay, arcade again? game. Oh, really? No, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, funny. I don't know why. Maybe because they just wanted to have him doing a first person shooter while that's exactly what's going on behind him and he's
0: totally oblivious to it. That's the only thing I can think.
1: Maybe they just love Doom 2 and love to play it.
0: And then I do love Carl's obliviousness. I mean, I think if there's actual gunfire behind you, even if you have a Walkman playing pretty loud, you're gonna hear it. But yeah. moving past that, I just think that his face when he's he's playing the game and the POV shot looking at his face is really funny as all this chaos is going on behind them. The shootout itself is—I I think it's sloppy from a gunwork standpoint. <laughs> yeah. There is lots of random firing in this movie. Like when he and Grocer are going at it, there's just kind of shooting to shoot versus shooting at something specifically.
2: Oh, the end, the last scene in the kitchen that was just like, (laughs) just like dumb. Yeah. Yeah, Just shooting for shooting's sake. You're not even aiming anywhere close to them. You're just like shooting over over the island or whatever.
0: But again, it's a comedy.
1: Yeah. That's why I say the action scenes are definitely the worst part about
0: it. I I agree At the end of that scene though you know They give the Martin Blank character a little bit of redemption Because he runs back in and he grabs Carl And he pulls him out of there But then after the building explodes And Carl gets up again This dude just crushes it
3: What'd you do that for? It's not me You alright? No, I'm not alright
2: I'm
3: hurt, I'm pissed Gotta find a new job
2: <laughs> it's fantastic it's so funny like we have the exact same quote in our notes <laughs> yeah, yeah that, was such I a mean, great that one's done so well yeah just don't expect that from some like secondary or ter- tertiary character yeah. and he's like nailing yeah. all these great lines just fucking crushing it
1: man <laughs> it reminds me of floyd right from a true romance it's a very similar character like obviously this guy's
0: not brad pitt but it's a very similar character and and lines small screen time but great impact to comedic effect definitely yeah exactly exactly so then he goes and finds debbie and this is where she mentions shakabuku what you
3: been doing the last 10 years no. well you must have had worthwhile experiences you want to tell me about bad experiences you met people bad people <laughs> you're pathetic Do you know what you need what shakabuku you want to tell me what that means it's a swift spiritual kick to the head that alters your reality forever oh would that be good
0: i think De- depending on where you read it it's it's a concept that has spanned all the different Eastern religions, but the term has historically been used to indicate the rebuttal of false teachings and thereby break negative patterns in one's thoughts, words, or deeds. He has his Shakabuku moment, I think, when he's holding the baby at the reunion. He kills a guy shortly afterwards, but uh, that's in self-defense. I totally
2: missed the Shakabuku thing.
0: And the chemistry, when they're sitting in the booth together, it's just great. That is Anne Cusack, who shows up. you here for the reunion? And his reply sure. <laughs> just, just, I love this performance. I did just sort of wonder how they came up with
2: the name for this bar that they're in, the Hippo Club. It just seems odd. But again, this is like <laughs> the quirkiness of this movie.
0: By the way, just when they go back out front and they're standing there and this is where you know he's trying to close the deal to get her to allow him to take her to the reunion. He leans in for a little bit for a kiss and then she backs up. The physicality of the actors in terms of their position, they're actually kind of pushing each other almost as if there's a little energy force right, between the right, two of right. them. It's just great. Said it many times, just love the chemistry. When he goes back to his hotel room, I do love that he calls back. So he identified the other bad guys that were in town. And the way that Joan Cusack rattles off who these people are and and what their resume is as professional killers, I think is really funny.
3: This guy is a badass. Felix Lapubelle, an accomplished amateur with the Basque Nationalists. Few odd jobs with the Algerian separatists. Went pro with the Stunning debut aboard an elite Caribbean cruise line. Oh, that's where I know from. He's an asshole. Did loan outs for Lickenbacken. Enjoys uh, Native American art, ballroom dancing, pornography.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Her delivery, I think, is tons of fun. You know that something's
2: going on all throughout this movie because he's got this cellophane taped up dossier, this thick dossier on his target. It's like he's avoiding it the whole time, probably because right. he's into this whole Debbie thing every time uh, Marcella calls him. It's like, no, I haven't done it yet. I haven't done it yet. He hasn't even opened up this dossier, this foreshadowing. Like, who's the target? Who is this witness that he's supposed to kill? And I couldn't remember. It's like one of those things, something's going to go down.
1: Yeah, I thought it was well done, too, because I didn't remember. I thought it was going to my it, is Debbie? I was thinking it was going to be Paul, maybe. He goes by her apartment. Yeah, he went to her, her parents' house because her apartment
0: burned down on Devil's Night. <laughs> I have one of the questions. Did Top Dollar burn down her apartment? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Top Dollar from the Crow. I love when he walks into her bedroom and he has that giddiness because he's thinking about things that obviously occurred in the past and he's looking at the bed. Is that the magic bed? Thinking back to this now,
2: Debbie is, she is a quirky chick. And this is like a a scene that really shows her quirkiness. I mean, she answers the door using a Jamaican accent because there's, I forget what song was on, some ska song or something. I actually think that Debbie just still lives at home. I mean, she's a radio DJ. She can't be making that much money, right? (laughs) I think she actually is still living at home. That line Oh, my apartment burned down on Devil's Night? I think that was just a throwaway line. Yeah,
0: that's possible. Maybe. The the airplane thing, which I, I remember thinking, I'm like, that's kind of weird, but it's also fun and playful. So I think Yeah, the works. only thing
2: that
1: bothered me with that is the, like, he still had his shoes on. That
0: would not feel good.
2: Yeah, probably take your shoes off, maybe.
0: Yeah. Really? Maybe it's a flatter surface, though. More uniform.
2: No, yeah, like, heels digging into her hip. Well, I agree no, with, that's the, the, like, like a rubber good. sole, it would have been fine. Yeah. He's been out walking gonna get dirt all over her clothes
0: i hope he didn't step in a dog poop
2: again it's like 10 years have not passed
0: they're like right back into the whole thing it's a fun scene the next day he's out at breakfast and this is where he has another interaction with grocer again watching them play off of each other it's just so much fun because they're just really on edge but then it crosses over and there's a moment where he really relaxes and they're talking about the buchero thing and i just watching the chemistry or the energy between the two of them go up and down i think is fun so i like it marcus you don't like it though right
1: no, nah, this scene I did not like at all. didn't seem to work. They're talking about the drugs. It seemed out of place.
0: I think the Durazek thing is pretty funny, actually, because he, he, yeah, I love it. the way he pops the top off on there. And, he, you know, yeah. Xanax is like, whatever, cappuccino yeah. or something like that.
1: And then, like, they're ordering. Felt like they were trying to do something, like, out of the Blues Brothers or something like that, trying to get these, like, weird, specific orders and just this strange. I didn't like it.
2: Like, Teresa with eggs? He's like, I'll just have a, a egg white omelet. Oh, have yeah. two poached eggs. Scrape
3: off the milky white stuff. Hash browns, well done. English muffin for the bread and a coffee. Whole grain pancakes and an egg white omelet, please.
0: What would you like in your omelet?
3: Nothing in the omelet, nothing at all.
0: Well, that's not technically an omelet. Well,
3: I don't want to get into a semantic argument over it. I just want the protein, all
2: right?
0: <laughs> that's a great line.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I think it works. Colin, what do you think about the scene?
2: I liked it. Uh, again, I, I just don't really
0: love Dan Aykroyd.
2: Yeah. I'd say it's probably, for me, it's a, it's a little better than the uh, the first scene in the opening of the movie.
0: Yeah. So then he goes to pick up Debbie. He interacts with Debbie's dad briefly. Oh, great, great. Good stuff. It's a great back and forth between the two of them. And he says, I, I had you pegged for a slacker. He's like, no, I went the other direction. Like the, the back and forth between the two of them is great. I did figure out, though, why Debbie's dad is a target. Did you put it together? Yeah, he's General McAllister from Lethal Weapon. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's, been, he's been bringing in, bringing in the age from Vietnam since, uh, you know, since the Vietnam War. That's right. That's exactly why. And if you don't know what we're talking about, he was the villain in Lethal Weapon. Yes, the actor is Mitchell Ryan.
2: When he shows up, he's, what, 20 minutes late and he's carrying some flowers. And she goes, Roses, I'll go put these in some rubbing alcohol. It's just like a yeah. throwaway
0: line. It's just so good. That's what I'm talking about, man. There's just tons of those little zingers there.
2: See, yeah, but those are the lines I don't like too. Like,
1: I
0: don't know. <laughs> oh, really? it doesn't work, oh, for man. Me. Yeah, yeah. Different takes on what works. <laughs> the conversation
2: between Martin and Debbie's father. It sort of reminds me of the kid-to-parent conversations in Heather's. Oh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, Veronica and her parents and also JD and his dad.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. very similar kind of deliveries.
2: Uh, they're putting on an act. Yeah, exactly. Somewhat,
1: right? <laughs> but yeah, it just seems like they're saying what they're supposed to be saying and not, not really listening, just saying things because they're supposed to be saying something. And it doesn't even matter what they're saying to some degree, right?
2: With Martin and Bart, just total honesty. <laughs> like you said. I thought you grew up to be a slacker. A little bit of respect, though. It's almost like, yeah, I always liked you, Martin. There's never been a 10-year gap. This is the way that they would converse with each other even back in high school.
0: Yeah, I, I do love when he, when he shifts his energy and he's like, uh, let's just forget the whole damn thing and have a drink. Yeah. <laughs> Delivered really well. And then one thing that I had noticed or that I noticed this time that I hadn't seen before he shoots the whiskey that he's drinking after martin leaves at the end he's like he kind of knocks the whole thing back so i <laughs> was, was kind of wondering if that was a little tiny character moment they threw in there in terms of like oh shit martin's back or something like that i don't know <laughs> yeah, maybe they get to the reunion and i do love the name tag scene <laughs> when they're picking up their name tags because they're talking to the woman and she's like oh we had the pictures put on there and Special kind of torture, yes. You know? And then she moves on to start talking to somebody else, and and the whole back and forth. Of like, oh, I guess we're done here. And then they move on. So that's a good example of them just having fun with dialogue. That that seems the whole thing seems very improv to me.
1: I think the lady who's giving out the name tags. It's only been ten years since high school, so she's eighteen in high school, and she'd already been married, had three kids, and divorced in
0: like ten years. I know span. this I'm is like, what
2: I'm talking. Oh about. my I, god! I feel like this should have been like a twenty year reunion, or
0: or at least fifteen. They do say it's a 10-year reunion, but it feels like it should be like a 15 maybe is what it feels like, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely a
1: a bigger gap than that.
0: I think it does a good job of capturing going back to a high school reunion and talking to people and how it's a little bit, it's strange. And, you know, some people you connect with and other people you don't. And you have the characters and the caricatures of the people that are there. Yeah, so I, I just like you, you have the different personas or the archetypes that are there. The whole reunion and the weirdness of a high school reunion and the weirdness of the energy that it ends up bringing up in yourself because of your high school days. It's just all, all that is executed here really well. I think that, that it works.
1: Yeah, for sure. I love the uh, Paul's Like he's trying to get Jenny Slater. Hey, hey, Jenny hi. Slater. Hi.
3: You look great. It's Jenny Slater. Jenny Slater. Yeah. How, How are, are you? Good. years. Hey, Jerry Slater. It's good for you, too. Hey, Jerry Slater. Hey, hey Jerry Slater. really good. Hey, Jenny Slater. Paul. Paul's for Ricky. Paul. Yeah. I had 11, have 11 classes with you. Did the precious metals paper for you. Oh. Yeah, I okay. <laughs> well, I was looking for some validation of my life, but apparently it came up short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: thought yeah. that went quite
3: well. She's
1: fantastic. She just ignores
2: him. <laughs> did your precious metals paper for you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's hilarious. And it's hilarious. fantastic. You got- guys who are high school never stopped yeah we're gonna yeah, go yeah. out back and blow a fat one get charred and toasted just like in high school some people have not evolved or, or moved forward in their life <laughs> at yeah. all you can
0: tell that is sort of like a 10-year reunion by the way there's a couple of great overhead shots of just people on the dance floor and i would urge you to go back and just watch the scene and look at the individual characters how they're dancing it's hilarious actually it's, oh, it's yeah, really yeah. well done Yeah, yeah you actually see paul dancing with jenny and he's getting down so he you know he he crossed the line he broke through the the original negative response which i think is fun
2: i love the just a little cameo by jenna elfman it's not even a cameo because it was actually her film debut the woman who's wearing a, a body brace yeah. And, yeah, yeah and this is like a direct callback to joan cusack in 16 candles
0: yep that's why they did it
2: because <laughs> i didn't really even funny. think about it at the time wow why does this seem so familiar great fun callback
0: I had forgotten this, but there are two pieces of dialogue from this movie that I have incorporated into my everyday existence and I use quite frequently. Do you guys know what those are by any chance? I'm going to say one of them is, I'm going to cruise my old locker. (laughs) Uh, No, that is not it. (laughs) How's your life going? In progress? I I use in progress all the time. And when I was working, I would use that. It's like, hey, how how are things going? I'm like, well, they're in progress. I would respond with that. And then the other one is, do you want to go somewhere else? That's actually something that I've used in talking to coworkers, like in a weird situation or a weird dialogue with customers. I would turn to them and say, do you want to go somewhere else? So so it's just kind of funny that those two lines of dialogue uh, work their way into my psyche. I do think the baby moment is great. I think he has a a moment of revelation there in terms of the, you know, maybe the sanctity of life. I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's at least uh, pushing on his sociopathic roots. I love the expression on his face when he's going back and forth with the baby and the fact that. Under Pressure is playing. I just love that scene. That's one, That's an all-time favorite movie scene for me.
2: I'm going to give the win to the baby in terms of the, the faces. The, the, that, <laughs> that baby's face. they so so great. Very cute. I guess you could sort of see his heart melting just a
0: little bit there. Right. Thinking things through. That's a memorable scene. I think it's extraordinarily well done. A couple other questions, though. They do show a woman in the crowd who has a wedding dress. Why would you come to your high school reunion on your wedding day? I don't think anybody would do that, right?
2: I was wondering the same thing. And I don't know if it was just a, a joke or did decide to go to the we-
0: the reunion after the wedding. I, I'm not really sure. And then I do like the conversation he has with Bobby Beamer where Bobby's going to fight him. And it's just interesting because Martin Blank, this hitman, really steers him in a nonviolent direction. He doesn't want any kind of a confrontation. And then, of course, he has his fantastic poem. He's reading his poetry. That's a little bit forced for me, but it's also, I think it, it's pretty funny.
2: Well, what I think is funny about it is that Going back and reading about that scene, Michael Cudlitz, who plays Bob DeStepolo, he actually had like a whole poem that he was going to read. And then John Cusack improv by saying, skip to the end. <laughs> and he doesn't bat an eye and he just goes and he says, for a while.
0: For a while. <laughs> and he repeats the line. <laughs> it was really good. He has the fight with Benny the Jet, his kickboxing instructor. And I actually think this is a great movie fight i think one of you said that you didn't think so but i actually think this is it's kind of realistic it's brutal it's they're just getting after it i think it's a pretty fantastic fight honestly
2: it was way more realistic than like something in john wick you know right no it was good again i liked it being set to mirror in the bathroom i think that's that's <laughs> another one that i always just think about when i think of this movie i remember oh the fight in the you know in the hallways.
0: Okay, and then so one other question I had, so his friend Paul comes around the corner and he just has murdered a guy. Why do you think Paul would go along with the body disposal? Or what do you think? Like, just what's, what's your thought there? Oh, this was my close friend in high school, so I got his back. I'll help him out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems like an extreme uh, version of doing anything for your friend. I agree, but I think it's, uh, it's
2: okay. I'll help him out. It's bros before five O's. <laughs> All
0: right, we'll go with that. And as they're carrying the body down, I just, I love their difficulty in managing the body, like sliding along the rail. And then when they get down to the boiler room, they throw it over the edge and just lands with a thump. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's actually pretty good. Question I had here though, is once the surrounding smoke coming out of the chimney starts stinking up the neighborhood, does anybody follow up on that? No,
2: no, no. <laughs> oh. People are just like, it smells it's... like barbecue. Yeah. So I'm having a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Why is my mouth
2: watering? Hmm. Yeah. Was that the same boiler as from A Nightmare on Elm Street?
0: I know, it looked very similar to that, didn't it? It really did. So post-reunion, this is so he ends up having the conversation with Debbie and the back-and-forth dialogue here when he explains how he became what he became.
3: When I left, I joined the Army, and when I took the service exam, my psych profile fit a certain moral flexibility would be the only way to describe it. I was loaned out to a CIA-sponsored program, and we sort of found each other. That's the way it works.
2: So you, you're a government spook?
3: Yes, I mean, no, I was before, but I'm not now. Uh, but that's all irrelevant, really. The idea of governments, nations is public relations theory at this point. Don't, I don't want to hear about the theories. I want to hear about the dead people. Explain the dead people. Who do you kill?
0: He's starting to unravel at this point, right? He's, he's going a little bit off the rails because he's having this collision of, I kind of want to be with Debbie, but I'm a fucking psycho. And how do I manage all this? And, you know, and that translates to the rest of the movie, because at that point, he's he's off his rocker just a little bit.
2: Well, look, I mean, you know, you can rationalize things, and he says, like, well, you know, my psych profile fit a certain moral flexibility, and he's this is probably what he's been telling himself all these years. You know, ultimately, he might be a psychopath, and she calls him a psychopath, and he's like, no, 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 a psychopath kills for no reason. I kill for money. That doesn't sound right. He doesn't come across well. Ultimately, you know, he's sort of confronted with actually what he is, and he, he's probably depressed at least at work, because he's sort of realizing this, maybe there's there's more to life than just...
0: Killing people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's something else out there for me. She leaves. He thinks he's blown it with her. Obviously, he's probably feeling crushed after and there's been this rapid rising and falling action emotionally. And then he's like, okay, well, I'll take a look at the dossier. So do you think at that point he had already kind of bounced back to say, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to be that professional killer? Like, do you think he was that depressed based on the interaction with Debbie? Or do you think he was... Just trying to get the job done to save his own ass at that point.
1: I think he needed to finish it out.
0: Yeah, the latter. Yeah. So you think he was still potentially on a path, like even if he and Debbie didn't hook up, that he was going to potentially retire from the professional killing game?
2: I think so. Maybe.
1: I think he's ready to reevaluate his life.
0: So he opens up the dossier. It's, of course, Debbie's dad. And then he runs and saves him at the last second. The end shootout is, I mean, it's okay as an, as an action scene. I don't think there's anything necessarily that stands out about the action. I do think that there are, are several fun moments, though. So one is where, and I love how he just shoots the guy through the door. He's that good. He just, you know, hears him coming and takes him down that way. Right. But then the the transition to the attack sequence in the kitchen, where he shoots the guy three times and then just for good measure, smashes his head with a frying pan and then stands <laughs> up and he's got the blood on his face. and He turns to Danny, I love you. <laughs> he's off his rocker at that point. He's just... He's crossed over. He's at an entirely different level mentally at that point. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on in his head.
2: Uh Uh-oh, he's crossed over.
0: This is also where it kind of
1: loses me completely. It seems kind of unrealistic. The shootout isn't done well. The the fight with Dan Aykroyd's not done that well. The fact that she would actually stay with him after all this. The whole thing just seems a bit
2: It's not the high point of the movie.
0: By the way, it's why Roger Ebert gave this film two and a half stars. He said that the end action sequence was unnecessary.
1: It's goofy. I think what they wanted was this, like, action interspersed with the romance part. And it just doesn't work that well. Like, oh, like, I just shot someone and killed him. I'm in love with you.
2: Well, I think it also it, serves uh, as a, this is the climactic turning point. Because if you think about it, he's no longer an assassin. He's he's flipped to the other side of the moral coin. And he's now protecting them. Yeah, You know, what he said earlier in the film that, you know, he only kills bad people. Or at least he likes to think so, right? Well, Debbie's... Father is not a bad person. He's just going to be a witness against like a corporation for doing bad deeds. And yet he's supposed to kill him. This is a very vital time in his life where he's confronted with the fact that maybe what he's doing is, is not all that moral and like he's killing good people. And so that I think really flips him over. Now he's he's not gonna kill anybody anymore, but oh, but he actually does because he's gotta go save Debbie's father.
1: He's still torn because when the guy's down, he shoots him three or four more times. <laughs> he's definitely not Well, he's not
2: gonna
0: change completely overnight, but I think the action is there as a mechanism to allow him to have the dialogue. I mean, that's really the, the purpose of it. So the action by comparison is the less important activity that's happening during that that scene, that final scene. It ends and they drive away. And Marcus, you actually asked this question, but What do you think about her leaving with him? That's a hard
1: part with the movie. Like you want them to be together. You do want this like nice finish because it's a romantic comedy. You do want that. But it also seems kind of not quite real that this like kind of psychopath just shot up a bunch of people in your house and he's definitely off his rocker and they're not staying together. (laughs) She's not going to feel safe with him.
0: Yeah. I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's fun for the movie, obviously. I don't know what her, what the right choice would be for her character. Colin, any thoughts? No. (laughs) All right. Well, then Debbie drives off into the sunset with them, and they live a happy life together, I guess. All right. Well, let me ask you this, guys. What did you learn from this movie? Marcus.
1: Don't go to your 10-year high school reunion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I already knew that one, though. Colin?
2: You can never go home again, because your house might have become a mini mart.
0: I guess what I learned, if I ever become a hitman, I will not kill a drug lord's prized pet because that could come back on me in a bad way. Good, good lesson. Good good point,
2: yeah.
3: Closing thoughts.
0: I'll just make mine simple. I pretty much fucking love this movie. I've already (laughs) rattled off all the reasons why I love this movie. I'm not going to belabor it. I'll just basically give this movie an A plus and say that it's in (laughs) in my top 20 movies of all time, probably. Wow! I still have to make a list and try to figure that out, but... We were recently offline doing a desert island film exercise, which we're still working through. And after rewatching this movie, there was some brief consideration there for me, but it did not make the list. So it's not in the top 10 probably, but really what it comes down to is I love John Cusack where he has opportunities to do Cusackian things, <laughs> which he excels at. <laughs> he gets to do all that in this movie and I love the character. And here's the thing, might shock you guys, but I really love dark comedy. And, uh, <laughs> I, it's one of my favorite genres. I know that's probably just terribly shocking to you. That's another reason why I love this movie. So some of the action doesn't hold up and the NSA stuff doesn't work. But again, I don't care. A plus for me. Marcus. I cannot go quite so far. (laughs) I wouldn't expect you to. Such high
1: regard. The movie was fine. I don't dislike the movie. It was okay. It didn't really capture me. It didn't really connect with me. I thought the interactions between John Cusack and Minnie Driver were fantastic. And I wanted more of that. I think it'd be better if they just removed the whole assassin part. And it's just the coming home from the reunion and just seeing more of their interactions. And some of that would work so much better than the adding in all the action and the killing and, and some of that assassin part that could somehow get removed and focus more just on the relationships. And Then you're that making stuff. a but
0: fucking boring rom-com, dude.
1: I think it'd be a much, much better movie in my regard. It was good. I would give it a C plus. Wow. Good movie. I didn't connect with it. You know, it's fine. John Cusack's much better in Better Off Dead and much other movies. So, Colin.
2: It's a quirky action comedy that's better at the comedy than at the action. I think it's really smartly written, great dialogue, and it shines with two really good performances by the leads who have just mad chemistry together. And ultimately, um, uh, I think they should have made a real sequel to this with John Cusack and Mini Driver and Joan Cusack. I think uh, yeah. I definitely would have watched that.
0: Uh, so I'm going to give it a B B+. Okay, well, we are at the point of the pod where somebody gets to make a movie pick, and I believe that is Marcus. Marcus, what is the next film we are going to be watching?
1: It is my pick. I'm going to stick with the same assassin genre, but I'm going to go for a little more serious. I'm going to go with Luc Brisson's Leon The Professional, 1994 movie. I've not seen it in quite a while. I think it's on one of my top lists, but I'm not really sure if it... Belongs there or not, since I haven't seen it in so long. Let's reevaluate. Let's look at Leon and see what we think. Natalie Portman's breakout role.
0: And the best performance by a potted plant in a long time. You guys are stunned silent. Well, you know, there are are two different versions of that film, so we'll have to clarify which one we're going to watch. Interesting. I'm familiar with that movie, and I don't think it's going to hold up. That's my quick take, but we'll see what happens when we watch it. I
1: think it's going to hold up. IMDb number 33 on the uh, top 250. The best
2: movies of all time. I just think it's going to be weird talking about 14-year-old Natalie Portman.
1: Keep it in your pants
2: and we'll see.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not, sure where, not, I'm not sure where your voice inflections going on that one.
2: <laughs> I, actually, I think she was younger. I think she was like 12. She 11. was 12. She was I think she was 12. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will just say that she uh, she is a total standout in that movie. She is great. Let's see how it goes.
0: guess we're going to be back with Léon or The Professional, depending on the American or I guess French version. Hope you enjoyed our, hope you enjoyed my... Love fest. Yes, my, my John Cusack love fest. Love this movie. So thanks for tolerating my enthusiasm. And with that, this is The Real DMC Podcast. Signing off.
3: Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, Jenny Slater.
1: Hey, Jenny Slater.
0: <laughs>
1: hey, Jenny Slater. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I, I'm surprised that you did like, because in the Edward Scissorhands podcast, you said you really disliked when people say, when extraordinary things are said and people just gloss over them. So like he says, he's a professional killer numerous times. No one bats an eye. No one says anything about it. People just go, oh, okay.
0: They all respond to it as if it's a joke, right? That's the...
2: Yeah, that's that's totally different. Yeah. But it, I do love how, yeah. it, you know, it, multiple times he says this the same thing and they're just like, oh, uh-huh,
1: whatever that that to me seemed weird too it didn't, it didn't work really yeah i don't know that whole part just
2: seemed like it was just strange
1: like oh i'm a professional killer and i was like ah,
2: oh, whatever wow did did, did somebody <laughs> steal your puppy before you watch this movie <laughs> i know dude it's a you uh, do realize this is a comedy right